Previously on the Jay and Dan podcast. Mm -hmm. These videos, I don't know if you've seen them, where the people, they'll hit a ball into the air, they'll run through their house and get it on the other side. Mm -hmm. Man, you have a lot of time on your hands, Dulcy, for, <laughs> for a guy with a newborn baby. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think you should have kids every 10 years, approx until you are 80. Mm -hmm. All the hipsters of Toronto who went to Trinity Bellwoods Park that day, turns out there has not been a significant increase in COVID. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, what I'm trying to say is, hey, hipsters, get out there and each other. Mm -hmm. He's like, all you young kids come in here, play a game, and just tell a dog, you don't know what you're doing. You're so excited, like hit <laughs> Mm -hmm. Puck everywhere, guys not where they're supposed to be, like everyone's so excited, like puppy jumping up and down. Mm -hmm. People can't see the video. We put Ron to sleep. Mm -hmm. The cat's been put to bed, as they say, in the biz. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast, brought to you by our friends at McDonald's. Dance. Hey, welcome to the JNM podcast. Uh, I forgot the date again because we tape it on my phone and I always check the phone for the date. 14th? 16th. 16th. It's close. Does the date matter anymore? No, it doesn't. Why can't we just be like animals where dates and time don't matter? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, it kind of has come to that over the course of this uh this coronavirus self-isolation. But actually, the way I keep track of the days of the week is, is I know when we're, when we're working on the TV show, Dan. Um, do you miss me? So now we, um, you take Fridays off in June, and I take Mondays off in June, uh, so we can each have uh, three-day weekends. Uh, do, you, do you miss me when I'm not there, or is it a, like a breath of fresh air? No, I do, because I have to do more work. I have to do more talking. Yes. Yeah, that's what I miss, too. I don't like having to carry the load by myself. <laughs> that's why this partnership has worked so well over the years. That's right. I totally agree. Um, I can't wait to get back in the studio. We say that every week. Hey, I just this just popped up on my Twitter feed. There's So outside of Peterborough, my hometown, there's a little town called Lakefield. And there's a patio there, the, the Canoe and Paddle. It's a restaurant bar. And they built their patio on AstroTurf from the Sky Dome. Oh, okay. I like that. Look at That's that. That's very cool. That's very cool. It's great. I wonder yeah. how they. Uh, I wonder how they acquired that AstroTurf. Exactly. Did they just wait until the last game ended, and then and then they were up in the five hundreds? And then everyone was like, okay, I guess everyone's left the uh, Sky Dome, so we'll just shut the lights off now. Okay, good night, Jim. Good night, custodians. And then they snuck down with their scissors and just cut it out of the ground? I, do you want me? I can tell you exactly how. So the guy who owns the place says it was a chance conversation about three years ago uh, with a guy from the Indian Rubber Tire Shop in Buckhorn. He built an indoor baseball and lacrosse training center at his business. He was a pitcher in the U.S., had contacts with the business. He f bought four rolls of AstroTurf when the Skydome switched their surface in 94. And then he, uh, he said he'd sell them some. 
<laughs> you just buy four rolls of AstroTurf. But man, like you really appreciate those 92 and 93 world championship teams more when you see how ridiculously unforgiving that AstroTurf looks on that patio. <laughs> and then you think if they sold it in like rolls, they could have sold like uh, one foot by one foot squares to fans and done it for charity. Yes. Yeah. Well, because they sold. Um, well, like I remember the kingdom, one of our good friends who works with us at TSN feature producer, Rob Dunn, a.k.a. DJ Sonny Dunn on Instagram. Rob Dunn has a couple of kingdom seats. I believe he's a Mariners fan. Love Ken Griffey Jr. Um, so he's got a couple of kingdom seats in his basement. Uh, I love when when buildings do that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if the domes replaced all their seats, but uh, then again, I say that, but the, those seats aren't really that comfortable. Like, if would I want no. them in my basement? I don't know. I remember um, I posted it on uh, Instagram. <laughs> I got a brick from the Sears when they tore it down a month or two ago in my hometown of Peterborough. I got I a really brick don't from know. Sears. I don't really. I so like maybe if you needed it as a doorstop, I could understand that. It was just for the, I can always just say, hey, whatever. I got, a, I got a brick from Sears. I hey, where'd you get that Sears. brick? Like people are coming over, they're like, hey, I see that brick over there. Where'd you get that from? <laughs> where'd you get that it's, brick from? It's actually in our office at TSN. I didn't, uh, I didn't notice it. I, uh, I'll have to pay closer attention. Oh, right. I haven't been there for months. So are we going to go back there? It's going to be like just all cobwebs. Because I don't think the cleaning staff, well. Okay. They would have no need to work. They would have no need no. to work. Yeah. I don't know. I know that one of our writers in our office today to pick up something for a future comedy bit. And uh, producer Tim had said that there was bottles of Purell everywhere now, right? In preparation for people to start to come back. Bottles of puree he said they're all over. There's hundreds of. <laughs> uh, the, the writer said there was no purel. There was none. So, <laughs> so producer Tim is living a lie. A lie. You get hosed down before you enter. You go in hazmat suit. Um. <laughs> how's uh? How's fatherhood treating you, Toolsy? We're in what? What are we? How How old is baby Oakland? We're in the. Uh, Three yeah. weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks. Wow. Still fresh out of the oven. That's probably not the right thing to say. Yeah, just uh, love <laughs> in her pants. Just, yeah. That's her favorite thing. Like, so, I can't say, I, can't, I, I posted a video on my Instagram stories this past week where I'm like, good morning, Oakland. And she's just like, <laughs> and then smile. Yes, because <laughs> because just feels so good. <laughs> yeah, so a lot, a lot of diapers, a lot of diapers. I didn't think I'd uh, change any more diapers, but here we are. Actually, here we are. And, and like I said on last week's podcast, in 10 years, you're going to be changing more diapers. And 10 years after that, you're going to be changing more diapers. And oh, man, it's just going to be a lot of diapers. And then 10 years after that, you'll be in diapers. I think I'm pretty close. <laughs> wait, wait. You're close now? I'm kidding. I'm just, I just, 
would like it for the convenience factor. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I would actually at this point, and I'm not even joking, because I do like, I'm drinking a lot more beer lately. And, you know, it makes me go to the bathroom like everybody. But if you're, I hate when you're out at a bar, right? And you're just getting into a good conversation. And then and you go to the once and of course you break the seal. And then all of a sudden you're, you got to go every, 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 that point, it would be nice if the men's rooms had put a loony in, get put on. Hold on, you're breaking up here on my end. You're 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 breaking up on my end too. You're like (laughs) (laughs) So it sounded like you were twenty seven beers deep. That's exactly what it was. (laughs) He can continue. We don't need to chop that out. Okay. Okay, you were saying you wish they had diapers in the bathroom? (laughs) like women have oh am i oh uh, hold on let me try something you wish the washrooms had what diapers for men <laughs> so that when you get to that point where oh man i'm just gonna be up and down to the restroom all night or to the back of the restaurant and back like You're out at a bar and you don't want to be constantly leaving the table to piss. If you could at some point make the call to put a couple loonies in a machine, put on a diaper, and then just sit there all night and sit in your own urine, I'll take that. Are bars ever going to open? Like, are we going to, are you ever going to go to a bar where there's like 100, 200 people again? So you're saying like a nightclub? Yeah. No chance. That industry's dead. <laughs> I hope not. It's over, Toolsy. It's gone. The only nightclubs will be illegal bush parties. Yeah, see, the, the old bush parties, that was the best. Social distancing, no problem. Oh, he's frozen again. Do you think he's just staying really still? Well, while Jay's frozen, why don't we go to our first interview with our good friend, Sam Mitchell. Sam, how are you doing? How are things uh, in Atlanta right now? Well, we're in some trying times, as you guys know. And here in the U.S., uh, we've had a tough stretch of last three, four weeks. But, um, you know, things are quiet tonight. Uh, It's just the times that we're going through. So I'm not going to say I'm doing good. I'm just going to say I'm doing good. But Sam, you, it must be a point in your life where you're like, we're, this is happening again. Like, how many times have you seen this? How many times have you seen protests? And does this one feel different? Well, I've seen it a lot, but this is different. I mean, it's different because the young people have galvanized. They're not going to let this go. They're not going to be placated with just words and empty promises. They want some real action. And I'm so proud of the young people the way they've stand up, the way they stood up for themselves, and the way they, they've conducted themselves and the way they've organized. And that this is a, a, a long time coming, about 400 years, guys. And uh, it's tough because you're asking some people to really look within themselves and be honest with themselves and say, this just haven't been fair. America has not lived up to its promises when it comes to uh, people of color. And it's time, is way overdue. 
And I just think the young people today are just not going to let it go until things change. Sam, the Richard Brooks murder, which took place in Atlanta uh, just a few days ago, looks like a step back again in the process, more than just uh, the killing of an innocent man. It wasn't innocent, but I guess, you know, obviously the use of force was excessive at the time. Um, just curious to get your thoughts on that, considering it happened uh, so close to you. You know, I'm going to make my wife happy. My wife always tells me there's an appropriate response to everything. And, you know, when I when I watch the video, yeah, you always tell people don't struggle with the police, comply with the police. But in this day and time, as a black man, you just feel like once you get your they get your hands handcuffed behind you, then all bets are off. And to me, for a man that had a little bit too much to drink, that fell asleep in his car, that was a nonviolent situation, and you, they had a conversation for over 30 plus minutes. For him to be running away with a taser and to be shot in the back, there's no excuse for it, especially when you have his car keys, you have his ID, you know who the person is, you know he's not armed, and a taser. And it just goes to show you that the lack of empathy, the lack of I don't even know what the word you would call it to shoot a man in the back when he poses no threat to you at all. And you've been trained and you've taken an oath to protect and serve. And yeah, I mean, he should not have struggled with the police. That's something that we always teach our kids. But again, struggling with the police should not end in your death. You know, there's a lot of other things they could have do. They could have just let him run away and picked him up at home and let him go home and sleep it off. But Again, it just blows my mind when <laughs> when something like this happens. Well, Sam, you, you, you brought that up and said, don't struggle with the police. And I watched something very profound by uh, Trevor Noah today. And he said, they're always moving the goalposts. It's always, don't struggle with the police. Don't be playing with a toy or gun sitting in the middle of the park. It's always, and he says, no, he said, just don't be black. He says, that's, that's what it is. Well, I can't help that. We can't help yeah. that. We can't help who we are and how we, what color we was born. But the thing that we can do, we can stand up for ourselves and fight for rights. And enough's enough. It's too yes. many young black men and black women have been incarcerated on bogus charges, have been just racially profiled, have just been humiliated. And Wayne Emery uses this word all the time. It's not about pride, it's about your dignity. And when people try to strip you of your dignity and your self-respect, that's where you have to draw the line. And it's been going on far too long. And, and again, it's, it's time for us to sit down and have some meaningful dialogue. This lip service, those days are over. It's time to get to the root of the cause of this. And, and people need to understand, it's time for this country to live up to the promises and that be that beacon of light on the shining hill that Ronald, Ronald Reagan talked about. Um, you think Trump's going to get reelected? <laughs> I have one vote, and I'm going to keep my vote to myself. But yeah, I guess you can take a wild guess. You can bet on which way you think I'm going to vote, and you won't go wrong. I don't know. I never would have thought, look, I never would have thought this would have happened. I never would have thought that the people in charge, you know, we're supposed to have three branches of government to check. Uh, the, pre the two other branches of government to check the president and they have just let him run amok with the laws and the rules. And so yeah. uh, I, I would like to think that there's a change coming, but 
who knows? I do have a boat. I'm going to exercise my right to vote. Even if I have to stand in line in Georgia for hours at end, I'm going to vote. And uh, Sam, you have history in Minnesota where all of this started. It's the epicenter of everything. And you must be very proud of uh, how the community has, uh, has just taken this on. Well, I'm proud of that, but I'm sad. I'm sad that it took a man to be basically executed yeah. uh, on live TV uh, for us to come to some type of reckoning. How many, I mean, this is the thing that blows your mind. Black people have been telling uh, white Americans this has been happening to us for, for, for as long as I can remember. And we were always told that you're over-exaggerating. You guys are just too much drama. You know, it's not as bad as you say. And when people saw that, and when there have been other videos, but when people saw for eight minutes and 43 seconds, a man kneeling on another man's neck and had his hands in his pockets with the smirk on his face, and that man laying there begging. And, and guys, you understand dignity, pride, self-respect. For another human being to beg you, for their life. That means they knew their life was being snuffed out at that moment. You know, I can only think of what it would take for me in that moment to beg for my life. And it would take everything inside of me to do that. And for that man to do that and to still not be given any compassion, it just was the tipping point. And that just told people that, you know, when you comply, when you say yes, sir, no, sir, when you are uh, respectful, even to the point to where you plead for your life and you're still and you're still not showing any humanity, any dignity, uh, any compassion, then that just tells you that that we're living in a place that it's just got to change. It's just not right. Sam, I wonder what you uh, think of what Kyrie Irving and, and Dwight Howard and, and some NBA players have sort of done over the weekend. They're not 100 percent sure they want to return the way that Adam Silver wants the league to return. They feel like this might be an opportunity, obviously, to exercise their voice. Um, do you think it's the appropriate time for them to do that? And do you think that it makes sense for them to do that? Or are they better off getting back to playing and, and using their voice that way? Well, guys, I'm going to say it comes down to individual choices. First of all, I want to commend these young men in the NBA for feeling, you know, they're supposed to feel this way. They're supposed to be conflicted. Because for so many of us African-American men, and women who've come out of poverty, out of tough neighborhoods and tough situations, and, and the so-called have made it. And, you know, we go home, we still have family members uh, that still live in impoverished conditions. And you can only help so many people. And that's why most of us have nonprofit foundation to where we try to go back to our community and help and help our family members. But what you realize, you can't help everyone in that that it is so uneven and so unfair, it's just difficult. And so I understand these young men fighting from within and torn with the conflict of do they come out and play or do they stand and, and, and let people understand that this is the time to plant your feet firmly in the ground and stand up and, and fight for what you believe. So I understand both sides. I understand the players that want to play and use that, that platform uh, on a night-to-night -night basis to just keep drilling down in people's minds that we got to do better, that this country, that this world owe everyone an equal fair chance. So I understand both sides, but I'm so proud of these young men for having 
that feeling. They're supposed to feel this way. My personal feelings is that eventually I hope they play. I hope they use that platform because they may be one of the few leagues playing on a night-to-night -night basis to where they can stand up and they can keep this in the forefront of the news and on the forefront of our mind and not let this go away. But I'm going to be honest with you. Regardless of which way the players decide to go, I'm going to support them because there is no right or wrong in this issue. You got to look within yourself and based on how you feel and your background and what you've been through, then you got to make a tough decision because it's not just about playing basketball. It's about your health because, you know, the numbers are rising in Florida. Uh, you got to be in this bubble. And for what I understand, the two teams that make it to the finals are going to be in that bubble setting for about 95 days. And that is tough. And so for the people who are just saying the players should just play and get their money, it's not about that because at some point in your life, it's not about how much money you make. It's about what you stand for and what you believe. And to me, you know, whichever the way the players decide to go and for the players who decide not to play or play, I support them because it's just a tough decision to make. Do you do you get a sense of how it's going to go? Can you give a percentage of uh, us seeing basketball? I can't, man. You know, I, in my heart, I think they're going to play. I think when they really sit down as a group, and talk about the best way that they can lend their voice and lend their, uh, you know, their influence and their celebrity. Uh, I think that's going to be the best way. I, but again, you never know, man. And, and again, there is no wrong answer to this. It's just doing what you think is right in your heart and standing up for what you believe in. Sam, I have a list of some players that you played with in the National Basketball Association. And I wonder if you would indulge us for a moment. And okay. uh, if I say a name, I just want to hear the first thing that comes to your mind about this person. Um, so I'm going to start with, um, I'm going to kind of go a little different here. This is one of my favorite players of all time, uh, Chauncey Billups. Uh, you had him at an interesting time. You played with him at an interesting time. What comes to my mind is a guy that was uh, thirsty for learning and knowledge. And once he obtained that knowledge, he became a champion one of the best point guards at the time for about a five, six-year stretch. Uh, Stephon Marbury, what a, what a complicated career he had. Probably one of the most talented players I've ever been around in my life. I've seen Steph at a young age just go at Gary Payne and John Stockton and just destroy them and, and have games that are just unbelievable. But to your point, uh, he never quite, he never reached his potential for a lot of reasons, but an unbelievable talent. What do you make of his, uh, his journey in China? I kind of, uh, I think that was pretty, pretty amazing, actually, how he, he sort of redeemed himself over there. Well, I think knowing Steph the way he is, you know, I'm proud of him from the standpoint. When things didn't go the way his NBA career that he felt like he should have, he went to China and he became, hey man, they have statues of Stephon Marbury outside of arena. So he has made an unbelievable life and career for himself. So you just have to be proud. It's not the conventional way that he may have sat down and drawn it up when he was in high school, but when he looks back on it, he's got to be pretty proud of himself. Speaking of statues, um, they're taking down all these Confederate uh, statues around the States. How is there not a Prince statue? <laughs> How, we need a Prince statue. <laughs> Well, hey, it may be coming, guys. It, it, it's time for them to take care of those, take down those Confederate statues. Yes. And, I, and I always try to remind people of this. 
you know, the United States has always talked about it's built on women. Why would we glorify losing? Why would yes. we glorify? And I understand the history, but you have to remember, these men chose to take up arms against the United States of America, and they lost. And so why should they be celebrated? And why should people of color have to serve on those military bases? I live in Columbus, Georgia, and Fort Benning, I've been on that base thousands of times. And again, you know, it, 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 it's just not right to remind us on a day-to-day -day basis of what we've had to overcome. Uh, getting back to players, you played with both Davises, Sam? Dale Davis and Antonio Davis. Yes. Yeah, you played with both of them. So that what was so it's weird when you're playing with brothers, I suppose, right? <laughs> well, the, the thing that I remember about the Davis boys, the Davis twins, as we call them, man, they was just unique. They both brought a different skill set, but the thing that they brought to the table that we needed when I played for the Pacers was mental toughness and physical toughness. They was two of the toughest guys ever been around. They were great teammates. And we just, we were lucky to have those two guys. And that Indiana Pacers team that I played on, uh, you know, we didn't quite get to the finals and have a chance to win a championship. But we got to two game sevens in the NBA finals. But all of us on that team are still close. And we regularly talk to this day. And you, yeah, you're, you said it. I mean, you look back at that team, the talent was uh, Rick Smith's. I mean, <laughs> what's Rick Smith? Because now there's so many European players, then it wasn't quite so common, Sam. Yeah, people forget how good a player Rick Smith was. Detlef Shrimp was also on, I played with him for one year in, in uh, Indiana. We had a loaded team. And I tell you, in the late, great Malik Sealer, people don't understand this. We were so deep. He was our first round pick his rookie year. He never put on a uniform his rookie year. That's wow. how deep and, uh, and good a team we had. That our first round pick, we couldn't find time for. What about Reggie Miller? Um, I feel like he's newly, newly appreciated after the last dance. You know, you, you watch him go toe to toe with Jordan. Um, what, what was your experience like with him? Well, I love Reggie. Uh, first of all, an unbelievable, great teammate, unselfish to a fault. It was all about us as a team and not about himself. And the thing that I respect the most about Reggie, for a guy that was 6'6", 185 pounds soaking wet, <laughs> he was tough as nails. I've seen Reggie Miller take some hits that I didn't think it, he could get up from. And not only did he get up, he got up talking trash. And I remember uh, we had a team meeting one, and I'm not going to name the coach, and the coach was getting on Reggie about talking so much trash. And Vern Fleming, who's the captain of our team, uh, stood up and said, look, Reggie, you say whatever you want to say, and you say it how often you want to say it, and we got your back. And that was the type of team. You know, Reggie talked the talk, and we walked it for him. Um, Kevin Garnett, what a, what a player. I would say from the first day I saw him, I knew he was going to be a Hall of Famer uh, after the very first practice, the hardest working. Uh, this is one of the smartest basketball players, one of the most respectful basketball players that ever been around. From day one, when he walked in our locker room as a rookie, he knew every player that was on that team. He knew where you were from. He knew the history of the league. And you knew from the very first drill that we did. I remember sitting, uh, having a, a cup of Gatorade with Doug West. And we sat there simultaneously. We looked at each other and we smiled and said, we're going to tell our kids we played with Kevin Garnett one day. 
<laughs> and he, what an he, actor. Did you see him in Uncut Gems? Absolutely. Well, yeah. he was an actor. That's him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I always joke with him. Uh, he for, for a guy that's as shy as he is, when you turn the camera on, oh, he just lights up. I tell him all the time. He loves the camera and the camera loves him, but he's found his second niche acting. And he and if he decides to pursue it, he's going to be great at it. Wait, you're saying Kevin Garnett is shy because I think of him being one of the great trash talkers. It's so fierce, but off the court, that's not the case. He is shy until that camera starts rolling, and right. then or there's an audience for him to perform. And once he gets started and get loose, there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. He's great, so he's one of the funniest, nicest people I've ever been around, and I'm lucky to call him one of my friends. Sam, what was uh, your first impressions of the city of Toronto when you, uh, you know, obviously you'd played there, but you know, you're kind of in and out a little bit and then you come to work here. I'm curious about your, your impressions of the city and how your family enjoyed it and the country essentially. Well, when I first of all the years planned, I always thought it was a great city, but living there for four and a half, five years and still coming there as often as I do, I often equated as uh, New York City on steroids, nicer, cleaner, the people are fantastic. The food is over the top. To this day, Toronto has formed me. I would not eat Italian food in the United States of America. <laughs> I've yet to find an Italian restaurant that competes with the Italian restaurants uh, that I've frequently in Toronto. And uh, I just want my wife laughs at me all the time that she always wants to go out to a poor Italian. I'm like, nope. If it's not in <laughs> Toronto, I will not uh, eat it. So my place. Where do you? Where in Toronto? What Italian place do you have a go to? Vaticano, up in Yorkville. Okay, Vaticano. Right. That's my spot. And guys, when I was the coach of the Raptors, I probably ate there three, four nights a week when I was in town. Wow, I love that. Isn't that great to have a spot like that? You just know, and they they love you there. And ah, that's a good. I'm family. like Norm and Cheers. They have a <laughs> meet at the bar with a TV in front and I would go there guys on my days off and nights that we didn't have a game and I would have dinner and I would watch NBA games and, and I sit there and talk to the bartender until time to leave. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Sam, uh, one more I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, one of your, one of your coaches, the late uh, Flip Saunders, just curious about his uh, impact on you. Well, just, when you just talk about an incredible, nice person that loved the game, that was always thinking about basketball, uh, it's just, you know, to this day, you know, I often think of Flip and still can't believe that Flip is not uh, walking among us. Uh, just his knowledge for the game. Uh, he wanted to be the best basketball coach that he can be. And I will say something. Flip Saunders gave myself and the team I played on the biggest compliment a coach has ever gave us. At the end of the season, when we came up short in the playoffs and lost, he pulled us together and he said, he said, guys, I've never had a team. Every day that I walked into this building, I knew you guys were going to give me your best. And as a coach, that's all I can ask for. I've never had a team, every single practice that came out and actually focused and tried to get better and try to do the things as a coach that I can ask. And he said that to us. And it just brought tears to our eyes because I've never had a coach tell us how much he appreciated us as players. Uh, like that. And, and that's the thing I learned from Flip is that as a coach, don't be afraid to let your players know how much you appreciate, how much you care, how much you love, how much you respect. Don't be afraid to let those guys know because you're asking those guys to go out there and compete 
on a night to night basis. And it, it, it was just something that I'll never forget. Uh, Sam, before we let you go, um, that clip we always play a year is the zero, zero, zero. Do you, we have it in a top 10 about once a month. Do you, uh, do you love it or do you hate it? God, you know, one thing about it, I learned from it. That's the thing. I don't hate it. The thing that I learned, and, and, and again, I learned never, ever, you know, you have those conversations. I was a young coach. You have those conversations behind closed doors with players, and you never, ever talk about players to the media in a, a negative way. And uh, I apologize to that player uh, when I did it behind closed doors, and I apologize to the player in front of his teammates. And I apologize on camera because, to me, being a man is about standing up, accepting responsibility for your mistakes. Sam, uh, such a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you're keeping safe. Your family's keeping safe. Please uh, give your, your wife our very best at, and thank her for allowing you to use her phone for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> and, I will uh, do and, that. Trust me. Uh, I'll pay for it later. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, and, Sam. Uh, yeah, I'd hope to see you up here again really soon. I hope to be up there soon, guys. I haven't had Italian food in about four, four and a half months, so it's kind of yearning <laughs> That's for too it. long. That's yeah, way that's too long. long. All right, my All friend. Right, Take, care. Take care. See you soon. See you, Sam. Oh, wow. Sam Mitchell. Um, you know, he's been at uh, TSN a lot lately, Dan. Uh, not lately, lately, but, you know, since he's joined us in, as an analyst and we've had a chance to meet him and talk with him and uh, – yeah, I just I just love the guy. I just I love uh, I love how frank and uh, direct he is. He's, he's still like he's coaching, you know. But it, uh, but everyone at TSN absolutely loves him, and uh, I think he does a really good job as an analyst too. Um, know who else does a good job as an analyst? Our good buddy uh, that we worked with at Fox, and uh, we've remained friends with. He's been on the podcast a million times. Uh, CJ Nitkowski. Um, we called him. Uh, to talk about the 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 negotiations that are, have been a disaster in Major League Baseball, and here that is now. And there he oh, is. Oh man, he looks like he just got through playing thirty six. I wish that were true. I actually just got back from baseball practice, and I'm a dirty mess, and so I threw on a hat and this shirt to make it look like I just came <laughs> back from playing golf. Uh, My understanding was that one of your nicknames in Korea <laughs> when you played was. Dirty mess, but it was in <laughs> Korean, and I can't pronounce that. <laughs> hey, uh, so um, uh, regular listeners of the podcast know CJ. He's uh, he's been on a former major leaguer. Um, he's now a broadcaster. Um, and CJ, this past last week, you had a tweet that exploded out of nowhere. <laughs> you went viral. Uh, yeah, thanks to my wife, who is constantly busting my chops and um, uses all the failures in my career to make everybody else feel better. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of kind of the goal, but yeah, she had a little fun with my son. Hey, I felt bad for him. He had a rough outing. Um, we just we, we played this game. We actually we jumped out to a four nothing lead and lost twenty one to five. Um, so it was one of those kind of baseball games. And um, she had said to my youngest, my twelve year old Luke, she's like, "Well, you know, at least it's not uh, it's not as bad when when dad pitched bad." She goes, "At least you get to still live in our house when dad pitched bad." We always had to move, um, <laughs> which is accurate. Well, I got to tell you, I, you know, so here's a little thing we have in our house. So for the longest time, my 20 year old Matthew had the most liked tweet of the group. 
He had tweeted something about the PSATs that I guess other high school kids thought was funny, and he got a couple thousand likes, and he was the winner in our house for a while. Uh, I passed him this spring when I tweeted something about Mike Fires, and you know people were burying him for being a sellout, yada, yada. And I didn't even think it was that big of a deal, but that one got 25,000 likes, so I blew him away. I was the king, and even though this went under my account, I mean, it's my wife's tweet. It was her line. And none of us have a chance of catching her in any situation ever again. There's no chance. <laughs> nice. We're yeah. done. Nice. She can walk uh, it yeah. off right now. Happy wife, happy life. CJ. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, well, yeah, go ahead, Dan. I'm yeah, so yeah, we gotta <laughs> we gotta jump in because if Major League Baseball set out to purposely screw things up, I don't think they could <laughs> screw it up as bad as they screwed things up. It's been pretty brutal. I got to tell you, yesterday was the first time I've been so like optimistic about the season. Not only you know the work that we do, you know, on radio, TV, whatever, but even talking to friends and you know people always ask you, uh, coaching little league and all that kind of stuff. Oh, we're gonna play. We're gonna play. We're gonna we're gonna play. We're gonna play. They're gonna get it worked out. Yesterday was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, there actually might not be a season, especially because Rob Manfred went from 100% guarantee we were going to have a season, and then just a couple of days later, which led us up to yesterday, that he could no longer make that guarantee. Guarantee. And even some of the stuff trickling out today, the idea that there are some owners, apparently, according to Joel Sherman uh, that w- and Ken Rosenthal, that would not that are OK, not playing a season and almost prefer not to. And they only need eight of those owners uh, to say, yes, we don't want to play and the season is done, uh, which is just brutal to think about. Now, I can understand why. Right. If you're the Detroit Tigers and you have to pay Miguel Cabrera this year and you have to pay Jordan Zimmerman this year, you probably wouldn't mind taking a year off of those deals based on where your team is right now. Uh, but I can't imagine he'll let it get to that. But, yeah, Rob Manfred has had a little bit of a rough go of it. I'm, I'm a big supporter of his. I have been. I know he's taken some heat from the Astros stuff and the way that that was handled. I thought he's done a really good job with it. He's a very proactive uh, commissioner as well. But but this one, uh, there have been some struggles and it has not been a good look for MLB at all. And yet, um, you're right, uh, you, you know, there are lots of supporters of Rob Manfred, we forget that, and yet Ken Rosenthal, uh, of all people, maybe the nicest human being that we all know, <laughs> said, if Manfred doesn't get a deal done, his legacy is ruined. That's his word, that's what he said, it's ruined. Well, you know what happened? Uh, don't do piss off Ken Rosenthal. I mean, listen, obviously, <laughs> we all know him well, but uh, Red Ken, that's a different character. Nobody wants to make him... <laughs> Um, angry, but listen, because everyone's frustrated that there's, you know, that there's no baseball right now, and baseball had a huge opportunity with no other sports being played. You know, generally June or July at least should be our month anyway, and it seems like that's starting to dwindle away. Now, this whole thing has been negotiated in public, which hasn't helped things either, right? Sometimes we talk about not wanting to kind of know how the sausage is made. I just want to eat it and enjoy it, and I know it's probably disgusting and, and terrible for me, but I'm okay with it. Just don't show me how we get there. And right now, that's kind of the process that we're going through, I think, with these negotiations, which, listen, from our standpoint, it's good because it gives us something to talk about. You got to remember, I mean, I do a show a couple of days a week on an all baseball channel. That's it. I can't talk about anything else but baseball. <laughs> so the idea that things have been leaked uh, help us a little bit. But it's fair to say, I think it's a fair criticism right now from Ken because if they really do blow this and they don't get the next CBA done either, right? That's the thing that's coming right behind this. Then, then Rob Manfred's reputation, no doubt, would take a hit. I, I once watched one of those show, shows how it's made on hot dogs, and mm. I can't get it out of my brain. Um, CJ, uh, let me sum up Trevor Bauer's tweets from, what was it, yesterday, mm. where I don't know if you agree with him or not. He said, Major League Baseball has 50 games. They only want to play 50 games. That's how it's 
been all along, and now this is another stall tactic, so they'll get to a point where, oh, we can only play 50 games. Do you agree with uh, what Trevor Bauer is saying? I thought he brought up a really good point. Obviously, we know that he can get emotional at times, and, and there's times where he probably flies off the handle a little bit, and you wish that he would tuck it in, but you know, we love the raw emotion of players, and that's the both the gift and the curse, I guess, of, of social media, but I thought he had some really good points in there when you think about the idea that the players had come to the conclusion that there really wasn't a negotiation going on here anymore, that Major League Baseball had only one number in mind when it came to paying full salaries, right? They offered 72 games, but not at full salaries. The players were like, listen, it's full salaries, and that's it, and they found they got to the point said how many games how many games you want to play a full salary go ahead and set that schedule and then they still wouldn't do that and so I thought when you think about that and how much time is left right now and then the fact that we understand that uh, that Major League Baseball came to these players and said we also want you to sign this waiver that says you will not file the grievance I think basically what, what Trevor Bauer said makes a lot of sense they can't stall they can't they can't have offered 72 games in their latest proposal, and then implement, say, 54 today or tomorrow and not think they're going to face a grievance. They would, and there's a lot of money at stake. You know, the upwards of a billion dollars, apparently, when you look at the difference in the number of games, and that's just a chance that they're not willing to take. But i, I got to tell you, I thought Steve Phillips made a really good point today. The idea on our radio show this morning is just the idea that, okay, well, if that's a risk they're not willing to take, right, and they don't, they're worried about that billion dollars, well, what happens if you cancel the season? If you cancel the season after you had made a 72-game proposal, there's an outside chance that you would have to pay 72 games of salary without having any games. Now you talk about a risk. The, the billion dollars, I understand, was a risk, but now you're talking about maybe $2.5 billion, and that's certainly something that can't happen either. So because of that, I do believe they find a way to get something done, but I think Trevor Bauer and some others brought up a really good point that it's starting to feel like a stall tactic, and they weren't expecting the players to say, okay, however many you want, just go ahead and let us know, and let's get started, and Major League Baseball has been unable to even do that. I mean, trying to be as impartial as we can be, when you're asking the person across the table to sign a a waiver that you won't file a grievance aren't you basically admitting that you're that you're lying that you're yeah. wrong <laughs> at least or at least that you don't feel good or like you know if you, even if you split it down the middle like you could say okay do they think they're 100 percent wrong maybe not 100 percent, but do you want to take that chance say it's even 60 percent for a billion dollars you know i don't yeah. i certainly can't afford to do that and so i think that's probably part of it knowing that that's a, there's a possibility that they could lose right the idea of uh, putting that in front of an arbitration panel and letting them make a decision. You know, we always feel like, oh, a jury of your peers is a good thing. Well, there's always that one crazy guy. You never know that can ruin it for everybody. And now you're at a billion dollars. <laughs> um, so have you even got to the point because you do Rangers broadcasts. Have you discussed like, would you guys be on site calling games or have you even gotten to that point? So, you no, know, we, we have discussed it uh, a little bit. I know some organizations have talked about it uh, more. So we have the new stadium, obviously, down in Texas. Everyone's really excited about it. We'd love to see it and get in it. Uh, the idea of calling games still at the home ballpark would happen, and, and we'll see if we even get there, obviously. But uh, right now in Texas, and I know the numbers have, have spiked a little bit, uh, but they're at 50% capacity, so they could even open up those ballparks at 50%. I don't think they will right away, but they could, uh, and we would have a normal broadcast. Why the team is on the road, uh, we would either call the games from a studio uh, right there in Arlington where Fox Sports Southwest is set up. They actually have a, one of the larger studios. Other teams could also call their games from there. Of, of all the Fox regions, they have one of the big ones. Or uh, maybe even call the games, the road games from the home booth. 
it was just something I think the Rangers would like to do because then you could have the radio and the television broadcast in the same spot. I threw out the idea uh, to both my bosses at Fox and with the Rangers about maybe calling games at Texas Live, which is this new huge indoor venue uh, that they have. It's it's humongous. There's a hundred foot television in there. I'm like, man, if we could put some version of a booth in there and then there's a hundred foot screen in there, put the game on there and then we would have a crowd that we'd actually be able to get some crowd noise mm. with, which would be nice instead of sitting in a booth and calling the game with absolutely no noise unless anything that they kind of pump in. So that would be fun, uh, I think, to be able to do something like that um, just to give you some atmosphere and, and feel like somebody's feeding off what you're saying. CJ, you should be a TV executive. Yes, yes. Uh, nah, I, you know, listen, you and I have met plenty of TV executives. I'm going <laughs> to take a pass. <laughs> because I'm not qualified, I mean. That's what I mean by that. Right, not, right. Yeah, yeah, you're not qualified. Uh, I'm not going to comment anymore. Um, <laughs> CJ, the thing I think, and I wonder if you feel the same way, the thing that is so frustrating for me, you know, aside from the fact that, yes, baseball could own the sports world right now, and baseball kind of needs that boost right now because it's become a little too regionalized. It needs to get to be more of a national star sport again. But the thing that is most frustrating to me is the, the things that were going to be implemented, DHs in both leagues, shorter season, expanded playoffs, were things that me, as a lifelong baseball fan, was totally excited about and didn't think took away from the game. And in fact, thought that once they come in in this shortened season, they would continue on after that because people would just love them. Do you agree? I'm with you on that one. I've been a proponent of the DH pretty much since I knew I was done pitching and didn't have to worry about it anymore, right? Having the universal DH um, for everybody, uh, I think from a competitive balance standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, right? There are certain players as they get a little bit older that the National League can't really be in on for a big free agent. I always use the example of Brian McCann from a couple of years ago when he went to the Yankees, right? He got $85 million over five years. Would a National League team pay that? I mean, I know we ended up with the Braves at the very end of that deal, uh, but there's not too many National League teams that would go ahead and take that plunge and so from a competitive balance standpoint I was I've been in yes we like Bar- watching Bartolo Colon hit a home run and that was a great <laughs> thing but it just doesn't happen enough and and even when Madison Bumgarner takes Clinton Kershaw deep that's super fun as well but again the just the frequency is not there so I'm with you on that one uh, the idea of having that we were going to have expanded rosters anyway right we were going up by one the idea of going up by a couple shorter rosters in September we were supposed to see there was definitely some opportunities and there still may be expanded p- postseason is a big one potentially now if rob manford implements to say he comes down and says okay it's 54 games and we're done they can't do expanded playoffs because they have to have it negotiated with the players they'd actually have to come to an agreement and a settlement to be able to do that but bumping up to 16 teams uh in the postseason especially now um when you have the idea of there's going to be more revenue there uh, I know they talked about 14, but I think 16 would work really well because in a shortened season, let's just say we were to play 54, which is exactly one-third of a season, the idea that the team that had the best record maybe not doesn't get a huge advantage for this year, that's probably fine. Over 162, yeah, you'd have an argument that that's not fair, but to be able to do it, say, over 54, go ahead and everybody plays a three-game series to start it off just to get you down. Wow. Um, to eight teams. I would like to see that because we know that postseason baseball is is pretty well received. So that's another way uh, to do it. And another thing that we have a chance to see, hopefully uh, we don't miss out on it. Hey, CJ, do you know what your batting average was for your career? (laughs) Uh, I was two for 15. I know that. So what's that math? Is that 143 or 134? 133. 
Uh, 133. Okay. So, yeah, my first uh, – well, you know, I, I, I'm sure I told you guys this, but I was a pitcher only by the time I was a sophomore in high school. Like, I was a terrible, terrible, terrible hitter. And so uh, I'll give you a quick funny story. So my sophomore year, I make the varsity team, right? And at that point, I was in my mind, I was still a first baseman outfielder pitcher. First day of practice after I find out I make the team, I go up to my varsity coach, and he's like, all right, outfielders are going here, infielders here, pitchers there. I said, uh, coach, where do you want me to go? He goes, uh, let's do this. Let's go ahead and put you with the pitchers now, and, and we'll worry about your hitting later. It was never addressed again. That was the last time that it even came up. It was never, we never talked about me ever going to be with hitters. Uh, he knew what he had, and he knew that he didn't have a hitter. So because of that, you remember uh, the hits that you get. And the first hit that I ever had in the big leagues, uh, I used Deion Sanders' bat, who was a teammate of mine, uh, with the Cincinnati wow. Reds. I was like, oh, for my first six with a handful of, of strikeouts. He said, hey, use this bat here. It's really light, yada, yada, big heads, uh, the skin of your handle, whatever. And I got a hit with that, broke it. Uh, Ramon Martinez, Pedro's brother, threw me like a fastball inside. I got jammed. The bat broke, and it dribbled up the middle at Old Riverfront Stadium at that really crappy hard turf that they had. Thankfully, though, they had the hard turf, and the ball got up the middle, and Brett Brun scored. And I still actually have uh, the broken bat. I took the baseball. My high school retired my number of years ago. I brought the baseball, and I gave it back to that same high school coach. Uh, who told me that I, I joked around about the, how the fact that he never let me hit in high school. How could he not let me hit in high school? I got to hit off Pedro's brother. How could I not make your lineup? That kind of stuff. And then I, I gave him the baseball. Who is your second hit off of? Uh, Scott Sanders. It was him actually in my next at bat. And it was my might have been my it wasn't my last at bat in the big leagues, but it was my last hit, obviously, because I only had two. Uh, I remember I had a kind of a bad first inning. I was cranky. I hit a I swung really hard and hit a hard line drive. Um, to first base. Uh, I pitched terrible. I blew a five-run lead and got sent down uh, after the game. <laughs> but here's the best part of that story. So I had like two really bad starts in a row leading up to that one, and I was a rookie, and I was 22 years old, and I was dumber than I am now, if you can believe it. And you know how, like, when you're out drinking with your buddies, especially when you're young, you feel like you could do anything when you had a couple in you, right? Of course. We all feel like we're just invincible. I'm like, how do I capture that feeling when on, on, the, on the major league field? I went out. I had a bad first inning. I went into the clubhouse. I pounded a beer, and then I went back out. Uh, the, uh, I was trying to recapture that feeling. It didn't work, by the way, obviously, because I didn't pitch well, and I got sent down the next day, uh, but I gave it a shot. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever told that story publicly, but I drank a beer between the first and the second inning trying to get my, uh, get my act going. Unsuccessful. That's like Amazing. that's like the hockey players all smoking cigarettes in between periods back in the seventies. Is very similar situation. I feel like. Oh, and they—I mean, listen—that still happens in Asia. They smoke heaters like crazy, man. They have a smoking bus and a non-smoking bus. Like you have to decide which bus you want to get on. That's not a lie or an exaggeration. That is absolutely one hundred percent true. You're either going to smoke heaters or you're not. Oh, I mean, you're kind of smoking them anyway because you can't escape it. But that's uh, and you know Sparky Anderson would smoke his pipe in between innings, which I loved at Old Tiger Stadium. I had him as last year down that in that old ballpark. He would sit down there where you couldn't see him on TV, and he would smoke that pipe. And you could just smell it in the dugout. Time amazing. called. You had yeah. Sparky Anderson yeah, in last year? Yeah, I got there. So that same year, of all the same stuff that happened, I actually got traded. My first full year in baseball, right? Most guys spend like a full year at A-ball, maybe get a little bit of time at double-A toward the end. I went double-A, triple-A, big leagues, back to triple-A, and then traded to Detroit. So I played in four cities. Chattanooga, Indianapolis, Detroit, and Cincinnati. Uh, but yeah, I got traded over to uh, in 1995 to the Detroit Tigers in a David Wells trade. And uh, Sparky Anderson was the manager. Kirk Gibson was on that team. Lou Whitaker, Alan Trammell. I got a lot of guys right wow. at the very end of their career um, when I started. And Sparky was, it was really, really good to me. He was hard on me uh, at times. 
Uh, he really embarrassed me one day. I was sitting on the far uh, opposite side of the clubhouse, and he walked in. I was having a rough go of it. It was not pretty at all. I probably had like a 10 ERA at the time. And he walks out of his office, and everyone's sitting there, and he says, Hey, Nikowski, he goes, I just got off the phone with your scouting director from the Reds that we, when we traded you, and I told him you weren't worth the S word. Like, really loud. And I was like, what? You know what I mean? Like, here I am, like, just like trying to establish myself super scared. And he walks by later and I said, hey, Skip, I said, how come uh, you have to make fun of me like that in front of all the guys? And he looked at me and he goes, let me tell you something, kid. He's like, it's better that I make fun of you than if I don't talk to you at all. And he's right, because there were rookies on that team that he did not talk to. And so I realized that that was actually a blessing in disguise being made fun of in front of everybody. What was Alan Trammell like? He didn't seem like the friendliest guy. Oh, that's not true at all. Alan Trammell was tremendous. Really? Really, okay. really nice guy. It was really cool to see him and Lou Whitaker uh, as, as teammates, and I believe they still have the record. When I was there, they broke the record for most games played by teammates, and actually a foul ball rolled into the dugout during that game, and I had them both sign it, uh, and I still have it up here behind me somewhere. But no, super, super nice guy. That's both awesome. of those guys were that. tremendous. That offseason, uh, Tram invited me to go to USC Notre Dame with him because I stayed in Detroit to work out in the offseason. But I had gotten really sick. This is so stupid. I was got really sick because I was trying to gain weight and I was drinking way too many protein shakes per day. And it completely <laughs> locked me up and I couldn't move for like two or three days. I'm not even exaggerating. And I couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't go to the USC Notre Dame football game with Alan Trammell because of it. Oh, you blew it. Wow. Oh, did oh, I ever. You're best that one. Hey, you also mentioned Deion Sanders. What was it? Can we talk about playing with Deion? Because it seems like he was, that was a nice thing for him to do to actually give, give you his bat. Yeah, and he didn't get it back because I broke it, like I said, and I still have it. No, he was great. I mean, it was brief. I was only there for six weeks before I got sent back down and traded. But when I got there, there was only two rookies on the team. Uh, it was myself and Kevin Jarvis. Actually, his son just got drafted in the first round. I think it was 19th overall. But it was a, it was a really neat clubhouse because Barry Larkin was on that team, Ron Gamp, Benito Santiago. It was wow. a first-place team. Uh, it was a kind of a stylish team. Like it was the, like all these guys were trying to outdress each other, um, which was kind of <laughs> neat. And, of course, with Dion there as well. But, no, he was great. He was really really good to me really kind i you know i was a quiet rookie i didn't say two words to anybody and so because of that i think people treated me um pretty well and understood how much i disrespected the fact of, of being there but it was a tremendous clubhouse i wish it would have lasted longer it's, it's crazy to think that it was it was only a month and a half but uh just a really really good group of guys and uh you know, it's, it's it's cool to be able to say it. you don't think about it at the time because you're just trying to establish yourself. But you know, it's the fact that Barry Larkin was my shortstop and Benito Santiago was my catcher and and uh, Reggie Sanders, one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet in baseball. Just tremendous group of of people, and of course, Dion and Center just made it all the more cool. Didn't Benito Santiago have a really strange way of sitting behind the plate? Well, he'd have the, he'd have the one leg out once in a yeah, while, not all the time, and and then out, still yeah. be able to get up and throw guys out. Um, yeah. which was absolutely amazing. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was cool, man, because, again, a, a year prior to that, I'm pretty much in college, you know, and so right. I remember, like, even the first game that I threw, I threw an inning of relief before I got my first start, and um, I called my buddies back at school, and they're like, what happened? And I was like, in, you know, I was like in a daze that I just threw a shutout inning in the big leagues in relief. And I was like, oh, you know, Ray Langford grounded out. They're like, you face Ray Langford? Like, you know, it was just like <laughs> such a, a big deal. And there was no like MLB.tv. Like, they're not there, right? I mean, you can't watch right. the game. They're just, yeah. and I said, yeah. And I said, the last guy lined, uh, lined out to Larkin. They're like, Barry Larkin's your shortstop? <laughs> like, they couldn't believe it. Like, it's crazy because they're still in college. And it just, yeah, that's how fast, um, that's how fast it all happens, man. But yeah, it was wild. And then real quick, the, I made my next or my first start against the Pirates and the opposing pitcher was Esteban Loiza. Have you followed his story at all? Esteban, the former Toronto Blue Jays. He's in jail. Yeah, he murders. 
Oh, yeah. Frog, I thought he murdered someone. No, it's crazy. And I play with them later with the uh, actually both with the Nationals and the um, Yankees. But that's who I made my first start against. Hey, wow. CJ, um, you were talking about darts before. Did anyone else do the Dennis Martinez, the chew mixed with the gum? Oh, yeah, or, absolutely. Everyone well, and that's that? I and I did too a little bit. I chewed a little bit in college. And, you know, when I first got to the big leagues, you could still there was free chewing tobacco in the clubhouses, which, of course, as a kid, again, for someone that would drink a beer during a game, you could think how excited I was that there was <laughs> that there was free tobacco for everybody. Like, I couldn't believe it. They would just send these huge boxes. And then, you know, there was those lawsuits. I think they took place like maybe in the late 90s, if you remember, when they couldn't have like tobacco advertising anymore. And so they stopped sending all the free um, chewing tobacco. And, and I never liked the dip. I tried it a couple times and I just never liked it and it made me sick. Uh, but I, I did like chewing tobacco, but it was easy for me not to do it, knowing how bad it is for you. Uh, I'll get a craving every once in a while and I feel bad for guys that get addicted to it. And a lot of guys that, I, that I've played with that can't seem to quit it were unable to play without it. Uh, it's a really bad habit. It's not good for you. But yeah, absolutely. Never when I pitched. Uh, but when I was, especially when I was a starter in between starts, you're out shagging after, you know, in the outfield after a start and you're done with your workout. Absolutely. Some gum and a big chew. And uh, I wish it wasn't so terrible for you because it was very, I'm just, very I'm enjoyable. I'm just picturing you now as a rookie just walking through the clothes during games, <laughs> chew, guzzling beer, smoking darts. You were a menace. It's probably, if you look at the back of my baseball card, it's all starting to make sense now. <laughs> Hey CJ, what you so you had Sparky? Who is your favorite, the favorite manager you ever played for? Uh, probably Bobby Cox. You know, I tell people all the time I had forty managers in my career, if you can believe it. At every wow. single stop that I had over the nineteen years of playing in Asia and Dominican and everything else, uh, Trent Jewett, who most people don't know his name, I had in Indianapolis was also probably one of my favorites. And a lot of it always comes down to communication and how good of communicators there are. And even like, it's nice to know, and probably in this generation more so than ever, uh, that your manager cares about you, but that he's also competitive. Uh, Trent Jewett almost took too good a care of me at times. Like there were days that he would give me a day off that I don't want one. Um, and so I really enjoyed him, but he was just an excellent communicator. If you think about with the Braves over the years and, and watching games, you'd always hear Bobby Cox like clapping. Like, you could hear him on the mic, right? You could hear him like clapping, and it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if you were Chipper Jones or CJ Nikowski. He treated everybody the same, and he genuinely pulled for you. And it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his record. It was strictly about getting the best performance out of you so that you could help the team win and we'd have a chance to, you know, another shot at a, at a World Series, obviously, with the Braves with the long run that they went on. But uh, he was the best. When I got released, honestly, I think he felt more bad than I did. Like it was, wow. it was, it was really. And you appreciate that kind of stuff because um, not everybody's like that. Not everybody cares as much. It's a high pressure job, and it's easy to get a little focused on yourself. And uh, he was no doubt the most selfless was, manager. I've had. He was manager of the uh, my favorite Jays team of all time, the '85 yeah. Jays. When, yeah. when he's very, he's very loved up here for sure. For the yeah, for you never hear anybody say a bad word about him, right? You know, there's certain teams where you know players leave, and especially now with social media, there's more opportunities to do it. They're kind of throwing darts on the way out or whatever. I, I don't know if you've ever, I can think of any drama surrounding uh, Bobby Cox and players after. Uh, things might not have gone well for a particular player. Just if you know, it's like anything. If you're treated with respect and you feel like they actually care, even if it goes poorly for you, you can appreciate that. You respect that, and and when you leave, you leave on good terms. How how do you think Chipper is going to do as a broadcaster? It's interesting. It's funny you say that. I was just thinking about that today, totally randomly. He doesn't live too far from me. I don't see him very often, but I was just randomly thinking about that. I'm not even sure why. Um, uh, first of all, I'll have great insight. I think the idea of taking you inside the mind of a hitter 
and what he thinks a pitcher is thinking. Like that's I think where the the greatest value is. The one thing I always tell guys when they start, like a lot of guys will reach out to me just because they're like, well, you know, how do you get there not being a big name? And I always tell them like, you got to be yourself first of all. Don't force like analytics just because it seems like that's the latest and greatest thing. But like, people want to hear not just your personal stories; those get old pretty fast. But they want you to take them into the batter's box. They want you to take them uh, into the dugout, the bullpen, on the mound, whatever it may be, and bring that experience to life and and bring something new to the table that maybe other people. People weren't thinking about, but be genuine. I think that part will be really easy for him, but it's hard sometimes, just like it's hard for great players to be great coaches, right? That's kind of always out there because they don't necessarily understand failure and it's hard for them to relate to the average player for the great player to be a great broadcaster certainly takes some work. Uh, you know, the stories that, like I said, at some point are going to run out and they're going to get old and you don't want to get repetitive. Um, and I, I think it'll be fine. I think it'll be really intriguing. I think Mets fans are going to hate him and, and most other teams are going to really enjoy him. <laughs> do you think Gabe, do you think our buddy Gabe Kapler is going to um, have a, a better run in his second opportunity as a manager? I think so. I mean, think about this, right? The way that things went for Cap, and I got to see him in spring training. It was funny. I was thinking about this real quick, too. He was the last person I hugged before before the whole COVID thing came down. And I was like, <laughs> wow. gosh, I, I really hope that I didn't have it or, you know, or he didn't. We're, it was still okay to do We're on the fence on whether or not you could do it. And I just went in and did it. And I actually felt a little guilty about it. And then I remember he's the last person I hugged uh, ever since baseball shut down. And so I, I'm sure he's fine. Uh, obviously, we haven't heard anything. But no, I think he will. Remember this, the Philadelphia Phillies, they did not want him to go like the baseball operations. People wanted him there. And to me, that tells you all you need to know. I think there was some pressure. Sounds like maybe from some ex players, they got to the owner, the owner reads what's in, you know, I uh, say the newspaper, but you know, what's online and those columns that are written by those covering the team. And I think that kind of pushed his decision a little bit. And for Farhan Zaidi, who knew him from his days with the Dodgers, couldn't wait to get his hands on him. I think what what baseball people that that know the game and are making hiring decisions, the way they act about any any player or any potential coach, I think tells you the story. And the story is there that he's wanted in the game, and I think he will do well. Plus, I, I just so know. jacked. Yeah, yeah it was crazy, Jack. So crazy, Jack. Yeah, but it was, it was funny. So you guys know him well. When I saw him in spring training, he was having his kind of uh, beat writers meeting after the game. And one guy was trying to, you could tell, was going in for a gotcha question. And, and Cap totally called him out on it. But not like directly, like, you know, he kind of, <laughs> in his own little way of doing it, like, you know, oh, I understand what you're saying, John, but let me tell you why. Like, you know, it's just, it was, a fun, it was fun to watch the, the cat and mouse of the guy that was coming at him, you know, trying to get him from, you know, this gotcha, let me get you, surprise you a little bit. And I said, Cap, you still talk like a TV guy, man. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget when he asked me advice about how I prepare the show like when because he had just started right when he was uh, working yeah. with us and i i still to this day can't believe that a man who is that prepared about everything in life was asking me for advice about anything and i simply told him i don't prepare at all and honestly, <laughs> <laughs> it speaks to it speaks to who he is though right i mean the right? idea that he'll respect no matter if it's an industry that he doesn't know he's not afraid to be like i don't know Right. I think that's a really important uh, attribute and characteristic to have in a leadership role. Everybody thinks they know everything. And I can appreciate the guy or the girl that says, yeah, I don't don't know that that well. Tell me about this or how do I do it? I think I think it also speaks volumes about who he is. Uh, And I've never seen anyone eat more salads. (laughs) No, you guys didn't have to go uh, to the uh, the first meetings that I went to, the very first MLB meetings at Fox. So they bring all the regional people in, all the national people at Turin. You guys never had to do that, right? No. No. Uh, no. So I'm sitting next to Gabe in this huge ballroom one time, and it's just, you know, it's like Joe Torrey's talking or whoever's there, commissioner of baseball. 
and I and I see him eating. I look to my right, and he has got a bag of a uh, dozen eggs boiled. <laughs> Boiled <laughs> eggs. He's just reaching in and eating boiled eggs in this, in this uh, beautiful ballroom at, at the Terranea Resort. And I was like, "Wow, he really is committed. He's in all the way." Like I'm, I'm back in for my third, you know, bagel or donut or something else. He's over there eating boiled eggs, and no doubt they were organic, farm fresh. I don't doubt. Uh, oh, yeah. Just crushing them right, right. And I was like, "What is that smell?" Shaved oh, eggs. Gabe, read the room. <laughs> well, CJ, uh, thanks for coming on, buddy. This was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It was a big day for me. I struck out like 10, 12 year olds today in my kids' practice. So I'm riding high right now. <laughs> well, I'm feeling yeah. great. You don't, don't have any dip, but go and enjoy uh, maybe one beer like the old. <laughs> Be nice. I, I thought about it today after the big pitching performance against the 12 year olds, but my wife says she's not drinking during the week right now. So that means I got to oh. do it solo. Yeah, she thinks she's better than all of us. She's not. Her tweet was, but she's not. Hey, oh, her hey, ego's tell out of her, control now. Yeah, it's a good point. Tell her there's a pandemic. There are no rules. Yeah, I know. That was, listen, that was like the first couple of months, I think, like most people, yes. where you're like, wait, it's only 11 o'clock? You know, like, it was what it was, but at some point we got to grow up. Yes, uh, no, we don't. CJ, no, you know no, me. You've met me. I know. I almost didn't recognize you, Jebediah. You're looking great, man. <laughs> CJ, thanks for coming on, buddy. This is awesome. See you, yep, buddy. My pleasure. Hopefully, we'll see you guys in Toronto next year. I guess it's not going to be this year. Not going to be this year. So no. Too, man. Dang it. Take care, buddy. All right. See you guys. Yeah. See you, man. CJ always uh, brings the gold. That was so great. That was so... I had so much fun talking to him. I just love that guy. Um, he is a big was... name. Yeah. Um, that's been his, well, he's appeared at least a half dozen times and I think he, uh, that was his best appearance. That was really fun. Um, so yeah, um, now we talked to Sam and, uh, we talked to CJ and so let me run here. Let me run through. Uh, so CJ played for Detroit five years, Texas, two years, the Mets one year, Atlanta one year. Nash one year, Cincinnati one year, Yankees one year, Houston one year. So the, he was in the AL eight years, the NL five years. And Korea and Japan. And yeah. Yeah, it, it, he's, uh, he's well-traveled. And I still find it fascinating that he lives, he still lives in Atlanta, even though he's calling games uh, in Dallas, obviously, or Arlington, I guess, specifically, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, he's he's used to traveling. He's used to getting on planes. We should ask him his plane etiquette. Have we ever asked him that before? Uh, he's a big, I think, no seat back guy. Yes, I'm a big no seat back guy too. Well, but he's a tall guy. We're both tall guys. Yeah, I'm not tall. And if you can't recline the seat, there should be no reclining the seat option. Well, I agree with you there. Right, and I've always said that. I've always said that the airline should just take it out. But, uh, man, if you're a tall person and that seat's coming back, I mean, I know that's a whole other discussion and a very, a very first world <laughs> discussion, but, but uh, remember, remember, that's what Twitter used to be. Just like, yes. that was a debate for like two weeks. Yes, it was the no seat back, seat back thing. That was like the, that was kind of peak fun Twitter. And, uh, Ooh. remember, remember planes, remember airports. The thing so is, just wait, so, just wait. You know, you know our our friend, the former Olympian Anastasia, 
she flew out to Calgary this week. And I said, how was the flying experience? Because I'm like living through her. I'm like, what movie did you watch? How was the flying experience? And she's like, you know what? Everyone was amazing. Everyone's so nice. There's no one there. She said, it's like the best time to fly within Canada. Yes. Well, that's, I was just going to make that point that, that we're considering, you know, the second that we're allowed, you know, in this, in this province, uh, uh, non-essential travel, um, I, I think we're on a plane because, as my wife pointed out, my wife, um, I don't think the planes will ever be cleaner than they are right now. Or, or you take a page out of the O'Toole playbook, rent an RV, and drive no, to where you're going to fly. No, oh. absolutely not. My wife would not would not have that, Dan. You know that. I know that. My wife. She, she <laughs> won't even go to a cottage anymore. So. She likes luxury. She likes luxurious things. But wait, you can get a luxurious RV. Yeah, I know you say that. Um, and I believe it. And I've seen them and I've witnessed them. Our, our uh, makeup artist, uh, Spring, they have a luxurious RV that they travel around in, uh, her and her husband. And uh, I, I, I'll still take a hotel. I'm really hoping in that in saying this, that the RV people uh, uh, park an RV right in front of my front door so that i can experience it for myself and then i'll happily take it out and take the family out and document it so uh, well here RV... I'll, I'll give a, a free shout out to rvz it's an app they were on dragon's den like a few years ago and that's who i rented my rv through it's airbnb for rvs yeah <laughs> <laughs> but again you can rent a box or you can rent like a five-star hotel one Yes, yes. No, that that's cool. That's cool. I think I'll still fly, but I do appreciate that you can do that. And I know a lot of people love it. Um, I do love camping, though. Maybe we should all camp together sometime. I hate camping. Oh, okay. That's weird. You like RVing, but you don't like camping? Um, I like RVing because while driving, food that has just been cooked can be handed to you. Okay, I'm not sure that's totally safe, but... Um, <laughs> And you don't ever have to stop for people to go pee. But you're you're kind of camping in an RV, aren't you? Like if you're in an R- RV, you're stopping at campgrounds and and you're getting yeah. out, and you're grilling, and you're you're starting to aren't you? Starting but you to don't you and... don't have to unpack anything. See, with camping, you're constantly so to leave your house, you have to pack your car. Then you get to the campsite, you have to unpack your car, and then to leave the campsite, you have to pack up the campsite, put it back in your car. You get back home, you unpack your car. It's packing, unpacking, packing, unpacking. I don't want, I don't want that. But in an RV, aren't you packing up the RV and then getting to the place and then, then you you're set. Get... Then you're, you, you're all your stuff's in your RV. You never take it out. Right. Right. So you stay inside the RV. Uh, if you're at the campsite, you don't leave the RV. People come by. They're like, Hey, we got a, I heard you have a nice grill there. Why don't you bring her on out? No, I'm in my RV. Not <laughs> well, I get out of it. Yeah. And the odd night you stay at a hotel, but you just park it. You don't have to you just bring out your clothes you want. Well, wait, don't you uh, in, in an RV? I always see the RVs at the Walmart parking lots. Isn't that where you uh, where you <laughs> hang out? Walmart is free parking lots, but uh, we never did that because that's dry camping. You can't hook up to anything. Right, right. Can't uh, can't unload your <laughs> well you could walmart would probably frown <laughs> yeah, on they, it. The, the walton family probably wouldn't love it that much okay so you've uh you made some good points for rving 
Still going to fly and stay in a hotel. Yeah, when we can stay in hotels. I haven't. This is the longest I haven't been in a hotel in 20 years. I feel like the hotels, uh, again, are going to be cleaner than they've ever been. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to get on a plane again. Now, we all have to wear masks on the plane, don't we? We, we got to wear, uh, isn't that the deal? We all have to wear masks on the plane? Everyone should just be wearing them again because we've discussed this. Just just wear them and this would be over a lot quicker. Yeah. Yeah, I saw, I am seeing off way too many people at the grocery store without masks. It's just, just throw the mask on, man. Just throw it on. Or woman, ma'am. Um, I won't point out who, but uh, I have two people that I see every two weeks who are conspiracy theorists. And today there was, you know, you shouldn't wear a mask. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, the air you're letting out of your body, you shouldn't be breathing back in. I'm like, what? Those people, <laughs> Darren Drager and Pierre LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. saw it. We, we ran an insider trading segment on uh, the Jane Dan television show today. And Pierre LeBron had a, a beautiful haircut, and I thought, what's going on? He lives right by me in downtown Toronto, but he's up at his cottage. He's up. He's out in the zone where you can get your haircut. But you're uh, out there too, Toolsy, aren't you? Aren't you in oh, the haircut zone? Opens up Friday. Oh, boy. Are you going right? But here's the thing, and I, uh, I talked this over with our friend Matt Cause on TSN Radio 1050 on Tuesday. In the early stages, I'm like, I can't wait to get a haircut. But now, my flow is so thick and luxurious at the top, I might keep it long at the top and just trim the sides a bit. Why not? I know. You could just just do it yourself. See, look at it. I can run my hands through my hair. I've never been able to do that. I've always had it short. Well, now, uh, this is the thing. This whole self-isolation period has allowed us to see ourselves in a new and exciting way. And sometimes not that exciting. Why not, eh? <laughs> Dan, it's now time for Smells Like a Sports Dad. Presented by Old Spice. Dan, their new ultra-smooth collection got dermatologist-tested antiperspirants and aluminum-free deodorants. Guys, lift up your arms and take a whiff of reality. You need an ultra-smooth smell-over. I'm not gonna lie, Dan. I have been using Old Spice deodorants since I was 20 years old, and I'm now 45. I've been using them for 25 years. They've always been good to me. Uh, they've always worked great. And that's not, that's not just me saying that because Old Spice is a new sponsor of this podcast, which we certainly appreciate. I'm being genuine here. This is a product I've used for decades, and it is truly fantastic. And that is me speaking from the heart about a product that's sponsoring us. Can I uh, can I jump on that? Let's hear it. I also I also use Old Spice, and when my uh, my lady friend when we start, first started hanging out, she said, "You know what? You smell like the beach." And I'm like, "Old Spice, Bumsies, Bumsies, Kramer deodorant, love it, boom, nailed <laughs> it, Julesy, crushing it." I also remember at my dad's drugstore. We used to sell Old Spice cologne, and I used oh, to, yeah. yeah, I used to grab a bottle of that once in a while. If uh, maybe I was going to be meeting a lady at the uh, welcome sign, uh, you know, uh, 
Taker over there in my 1970 Buick Skylark. Splash on a little Old Spice. It was going to be a spicy night, if you know what I'm saying. Dan, what we want to talk about is great sports dads, okay? That's yeah. what Old Spice uh, is talking about. Uh, Father's Day is upon us this weekend. By the way, are your girls, before we get into the great sports dads, Dan, are your girls, they have something planned for you? I assume Oakland, who's only just a few weeks old, is already whipping up a batch of your favorite stew or something. Oh, she's whipping up batches, but it's not stew. <laughs> <laughs> it's city. She was three weeks old today. Um, so my mom's birthday is actually on Saturday. So we're going to have a Mother's Day, or not a Mother's Day, a Mother's Birthday with her. And then I think we're just going to find some place that no one wants me to cook because I cook every night. So we're trying to figure out a good place to get delivery from that we haven't. Because you've probably exhausted all the places around you where you like, and you're like, okay, I just want something different. I want someone to create uh, um, a nice steak dinner for me without having to cook it. Right, right. Okay, well, McDonald's it is, Dan. All right, so... <laughs> What we want to talk about is iconic sports dads in the world. And I think there is no more iconic sports dad in the history of sports and certainly the history of hockey. Oh, I, I was hoping you'd go there. Walter. Then Walter Gretzky, who we had an opportunity to spend some time with uh, in an event we hosted. And it was just such a magical thing because uh, this is a person that, you know, is famous for, uh, uh, as, as Jerry D, our friend Jerry D said at the event we're at, uh, turning on a hose and creating a superstar. <laughs> and that's essentially what he did, right? He flooded the rink. We got Wayner back out there at the age of three. Boomsies. We got Wayner. And the thing that was so amazing to me, though, Dan, is that uh, there were a lot of athletes and coaches and broadcasters speaking at this event. And Walter spoke first. And, man, he spoke so eloquently and so beautifully about uh, raising Wayne and raising his other sons and, and how important sports were in his life and his family's life and how it wasn't just about hockey. And Wayne talks about this all the time, that in the summer he played baseball, in the summer he golfed, and he thinks that's mm -hmm. important that kids do that, that they don't just, you know, these days it's like, okay, you focus on one sport and then you got to be an elite athlete. No, he, he thinks it's better to be a well-rounded athlete. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to mention that that Walter was just a gracious, super kind and awesome person and uh yeah, greatest hockey dad ever. And I loved his story that night. He told uh, we were in Nova Scotia, that was there where the dinner was, and um it was a sportsman's dinner and he told the story of how Wayne was about to break Gordy Howe's record and he said, Yeah, I called my bosses at Bell and said, Hey, you think I could have the day off work? And then Jerry <laughs> D latched onto that at the end. He's like Wait a second. You're still you were still working. <laughs> he couldn't look. And then and then Walter would always tell story. He told stories about how he would forget Wayne was in the backyard and locked the door. So he's like, okay, well, so let me get this straight. You were probably you were a bad parent. You were locking your son outside in the middle of the winter. Yeah, uh, it worked. Yeah, we hung out with Walter. We actually saw him at the airport uh, when we were all leaving the city, and Walter was just walking through. Uh, the Halifax airport whistling. So we joined up with him. He's like, Hey guys, how you doing? And we walked to the gate with him, hung out with him. And, uh, that was the only time I've ever met him. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a memorable experience. It really was Dan. Uh, you know what Walter Gretzky sound smells like Dan? He smells like a good sports dad.
Walter yeah, Gretzky smells like a good sports dad. I bet you Walter Gretzky uses Old Spice deodorant and cologne because that's just, it just feels right. That just feels right uh, for Walter to be, to be using the Old Spice. I also love all the different uh, names for the deodorants of Old Spice, but we're going to get to that uh, another week. Can I just mention one more uh, sports dad, uh, Dan? It's uh, my own father. And the sport is uh, maybe a little off the board. It's skateboarding. Uh, when I was uh, a youngster in Athabasca, Alberta, I loved the skateboard. I was terrible at it, but I loved it. Back to the Future came out in 1985. Everyone was skateboarding, right? It was a huge thing at that point. I got my Schmidt Sticks John Lucero board. I, I was so excited. I was out there. But I, we didn't have a lot of ramps in Athabasca because, you know, the farmers had to work. There wasn't time to build ramps and um <laughs> so so i said to my dad can we uh, can we build a quarter pipe uh so you know you have the half pipe obviously and then you get all you also have the quarter pipe with you know what's self-explanatory obviously and, and it's a little ramp it's uh, like a quarter of a of a half circle or whatever you said <laughs> and uh and i and i said uh, can we build one and he's like yeah yeah we can build it he didn't even know what he was building he had no idea what he was building <laughs> he had no idea what he was doing uh, but he just built it with me in one day. And the next thing I know, I got a, I got a quarter pipe on the driveway of our house. And it stayed there all summer. People would come by, we'd skateboard on it. And uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful thing. So I just want to give a shout out to my dad. Happy Father's Day to my dad. Uh, he, also, <clears throat> he also smells like a good sports dad. Uh, I don't know if he uses Old Spice. But if he doesn't, I'm going to send him some. Uh, oh, my, my dad has uh, since passed on, but um, when I was a goalie and I was a flopper, so uh, <laughs> it's it's burned into my brain. I go down and I'm like searching for the puck. All I hear was "Get up, <laughs> get up," and that that still echoes in my head. That's a good story. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm hearing it echo through the woods here because now all the neighbors <laughs> must be like, "What is going on?" Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. They must think. Uh, well, are, do you think? Because you have neighbors, are they coming around? Because you're outside, are they coming around uh, hearing that you're doing some sort of broadcast and they want to come over and see? Because you could have an audience. I'm not an orno. I'm at my secret lair. No, no, I know, but but you're in the backyard, right? Yeah, the one neighbor I've never seen. The other ones, uh, I think they're putting the kids to bed, probably. Uh, that that other neighbor smells like a good sports dad too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go around smelling who really smells like a sports dad tomorrow. Uh, we're gonna have another uh, Old Spice uh, sports dad segment next week. Old Spice smells like a sports dad. So, uh, if you have any suggestions for us of other iconic sports dads that you would like us to speak about um i know I, we had some other suggestions uh del curry and the curry boys uh lebron and Bronny. um how about, how gordy, about howe? gordy howe in the house absolutely dan archie manning and then the manning boys and then i also like this one howie and chris and kyle long um we could probably talk to howie about that maybe we should try to get a hold of howie to talk about because that would be pretty good Keith Kachuk. Yes. You know, I was just talking to a friend about how much I like the Kachuks, the boys, you know, and how, how great they are in, in interviews and stuff. They're a little, um, 
a little less scripted, a little less um, rehearsed maybe than some of the younger players, uh, but not in a bad way, right? They express themselves and, and, they, and it's just a testament to how they were raised, I think. I think they've just come from a really great family. So a shout out to the Kachucks. Keith Kachuk, Walt, for sure, smells like a sports dad. <laughs> yeah. so, we we need him on here. We need a Kachuk on this. Yeah, let's do it. We'll work on it for next week. We'll get a Kachuk. We'll, we'll, we'll get one of the Kachuks and either, either Keith can talk about the boys or one of the boys can talk about, about Keith. Sounds good. That'd be good. All right. Well, uh, this has been a blast. Happy Father's Day, fathers. Um, and if you're thinking of a present for your father, uh, get them an Old Spice product. Get them uh, McDonald's uh, McDonaldland gift certificates. Oh, no, so they don't have those anymore. Just get them a McDonald's gift card. Um, or just uh, just do something special. Because us dads, you don't want a big present because you just want to hang out with your family. Actually, I asked for a brass <laughs> pepper mill. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for a brass pepper mill. I saw a pepper. I need a new pepper mill. I saw one. I was like, that looks nice. It's not cheap. So we'll see if I get it. I'll let you know next week. A brass pepper mill. That's a first world gift for sure. I guess I should really up my um, gift uh, request game. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, actually, I'd, I'd be very happy with some new deodorant. I'm getting low on my old spice. <laughs> See you next week. Bye.
You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast. Brought to you by our friends at McDonald's. James Duffy presents the Rubber Boots Podcast. So we're sitting down at our table. The, the waiter comes up. And he's like profusely sweating. <laughs> and this is like 100% his first line to us. He goes, hello. I am not well. I'm very ill. You ate there? I came down with it yesterday. I've just not been good. Not good at all. Get it at tsn.ca and anywhere you get your podcasts.